Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, a tale of two halves yesterday. Fortunately, Florida's good half was the second one, and uh, they come out with a big comeback win over Oklahoma State. Yeah, I suppose if you're going to have one good half and one bad one, you you well, I shouldn't even say you hope that the uh, the second one's a good one because sometimes you can still get uh, still get beat if you're if you know it's the other way around. But for for Florida, yeah, it worked out and. Um, I think it was uh, uh, definitely interesting where, you know, if a team's going to roll out the same starters in the second half to start and kind of run the same kind of stuff on both sides of the floor and then they kind of come back, then you're kind of kind of left wondering like, oh, you know, what was it? What was the what was the, the secret spice that changed when it's kind of the same group of players out there, the same kind of style? But uh, that's not really the case for, for this uh, kind of comeback for Florida, which uh, makes it that much more interesting to talk about. Yeah, super, super interesting starting with the defense, really. Uh, there's no other way to, I think, um, you know, you and I have kind of, I don't want to say poked fun, but we've, we've, I think, with some data, criticized this idea that Florida has this great defensive culture. Um, and yesterday, they did play great defense. They gave up only five field goals in the last 17 minutes of the game. Uh, they were much better at the point of attack. In the second half, uh, I thought much better at defending the ball in the second half. Um, Oklahoma State really got whatever they wanted in the first half, and it was kind of what we talked about on the spaces the other night, that they love to use their guards to just get in the lane, and Florida was letting them do that pretty easily. But then Florida was collapsing on the post and double teaming constantly, so there were open shooters. Second half, Florida makes some changes, and they do it by changing up their lineup a little bit, including uh, – playing Niles Lane, who we hadn't seen since uh, the Stony Brook game. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of shocked uh, he was out there for so long because after not not playing for so long, I was like, oh, well, I bet he's only got, you know, a couple minutes in those legs or whatever, but he ends up playing 13 minutes out of out of the 20. So uh, definitely sends a message to your team, I would say, when someone who hasn't played since before Christmas is starts the second half and uh you could also say like you know elijah kennedy starts and 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 tune gat kick and um that definitely sends a little bit of a message but yeah it's just one of those things where it's like when the gators can't guard a soul on the perimeter it's like they're they're just like at some point you've you've got to put you know lane out there even if you don't feel he's uh going to contribute much offensively and uh, i did think he was really good um kind of guarding the ball also in the gaps a little bit it's just like a little bit different if you're defender in the gaps is someone who's six two or six three kind of lunging towards the ball like a lot of their other perimeter pieces versus six five and um also for a team that was like you know getting switches with matthew alexander moncrief onto smaller guards and having him just you know bully his way to the rim it's like you know you get a little bit more size like a niles lane like you know it was really working um, so I thought that was uh, pretty huge for for him, and also, you know, it kind of felt a little bit when when Florida started started to start Kowasi Reeves. There was kind of that sense of like, oh, they kind of just got better by, um, you know, it's almost like some you know a, a attrition came from uh, within the roster, and like maybe you feel that a, a little bit of the same feeling with that uh, with Niles Lane, who uh, for a team that's really struggled to defend. Um, you know, gets better defensively right away by, uh, you know, attrition that comes from the end of the bench. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely, after you kind of let the wind marinate a little bit, you you definitely wonder, uh, now I know he was ill early in SEC play, but you definitely wonder why it took so long to 
to do that. And you know, the guy whose name comes to mind and we can talk about Tuan Gadkick and, and I want to, and we can talk about, uh, you know, definitely sending a message. I agree that they definitely sent a message to the starters by switching up the lineup. Mike White called them soft at halftime. According to the post game, the players talked about how that really bothered them. Um, you know, and, and as coaches, I think we know, like, that's like the last thing <laughs> kids want to hear from their coach is you're soft. Um, so none of that, is good, but then getting back to kind of lane and, and just how fast he is vertically, um, how he does have f- extra length to be able, I, I said vertically, right? How fast he is laterally is what I meant. Um, and just his ability to defend the ball. The guy who kept coming to mind for me as I thought about this is Moani Wilkinson, who Will Wade has started periodically for two seasons, less this year because he has all those other freaks. But, I mean, Milwaukee Wilkinson averages four points a game, right? But he's just so good on defense that he merits his 15, 16 minutes a night. And, I mean, yeah, Niles Lane with plus 14 yesterday. And you kind of wonder, well, you know, you're not going to score that great. It's not easy for Florida to score anyway. So find out what you're good at and stick with those lineups. Well, I, I, you know, you mentioned like, yeah, you know, Niles Lane was, was, you know, had some illness earlier in the season, but again, like if he's going to play 13 minutes and a half, you know, clearly it wasn't like he was cleared yesterday. You know what I mean? Like if he came in and played two or three minutes, then it's yep. like, okay, you know, they're kind of getting him back into it, but it's like, if he's going to roll out and, and play 13 minutes and a half, it's pretty clear that it was, you know, coach's decision that, that he hasn't been playing. At least that's my interpretation. Someone could tell me I'm wrong, but agree. Um, I think that logic, you know, <laughs> it makes sense to me. That's why I said it, I guess. Um, but yeah, just kind of, uh, some numbers around it as well. And, you know, I will point out that like, yes, Oklahoma state hit some uncharacteristic threes in the first half, which, you know, makes Florida's defense look worse. Um, but I do think Florida's defense, you know, was, was poor other than that. I'm not, you know, it's watching back the game. It's like, yeah, there's a couple threes that were just, you know, ridiculous and Oklahoma state doesn't make very often, but like, there was also a whole lot of the Gators scrambling in rotation, trying to recover after a late double team or just getting burned off the dribble by, a guy who's not even a, you know, a, a great off the dribble guy and in, in Walker or whatever. Um, but with, uh, with Niles lane um, off the floor, um, the Gators were giving up 1.3 points per possession. And with Niles lane on the floor, um, they were giving up 0.8. So that was the difference. And um, you don't want to, you know, say it's just him. I, I the tune gat kick, a guy who I've been skeptical of ever since the Gators, you know, took him, had a, you know, had a solid game. Um, and contributed positively on the defensive end in the second half. So, you know, it wasn't just Niles Lane, but uh, I, I do think watching the game a second time, looking at some of the numbers, you can definitely draw, um, you know, somewhat of a line be- between what, what Lane brought. And um, I think now I'm just really curious, you know, moving forward, uh, uh, how much Lane gets used. I, I I wonder if it's 13 minutes stretched out towards a whole game. Is it another DNP, but then another game he gets in there for, you know, 30 minutes and to chase around a score or, um, I don't know what it is, but uh, I think we're we were all kind of you know happy. And, and the one thing I'll also say, just towards um, with Niles Lane's you know offense, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to spin it and say that he's a positive offensive player. Um, I think that would be you know disingenuous and in bad faith. But at least the ball's not sticking with him, and that's something we saw in the 13 minutes. It was like. Um, you know, he didn't try you know, earlier in the season when things were not going super great for him and he dribbled the ball off his foot a couple of times, you know, forced a couple of things, um, uh, looked kind of sloppy in transition, but you know, last night it was just like, 
the ball got to him and he was just zipping it side to side and, and on and honestly some defense as well um maybe realize that that comes from a, a lack of offensive confidence and they might you know try to make him a little bit more of a score but um it, it's clear that he's not going to uh uh he's not going to try to do something that's outside of his current um skill set and um, you know, the Gators, again, I, I'm not going to suggest this was because of Niles Lane, um, but they had they were scoring 1.3 points per possession with Niles Lane on the floor. Um, so I, I'm not going to spin that. I think that Lane is a, a positive offensive player here, but clearly he wasn't um, wasn't such a negative that the Gators could, you know, have no have no chance to score with him on, on the court. Yeah, no. And you know what? Um I think you're right. I mean, the ball not sticking is good. Didn't have uh, a turnover, uh, which, you know, Mike White, that's something Mike White pointed out in the post game is that, you know, he just found ways to impact the game without scoring, which is what Milani Wilkinson does at LSU, which is why that was the name that came up for me among other things. They're also very similar in their build um, and their length at, at, you know, I mean, Niles Lane, there are guys on Florida's team and in the program in the past. Remember how they had Chris Chiosa listed at 6'1 before his senior year? And I know we, I think anyone that followed the program got a good chuckle out of that. And like, if you list Niles Lane at 6'5, like he's 6'5. Uh, and you could see that against Avery Anderson a couple of times that they were matched up. And Avery Anderson is a guard that I have a very high opinion of. Um, you know, somebody I think if he works on his jump shot, uh, could at least have a really nice career in Europe because he's a good defender and he's crafty and how he can get to the hoop. And Florida just sort of removed him from the basketball game with a couple different guys. I want to talk about uh, Tuan Gatkick a little bit because he has been such a pleasant surprise, Eric. Um, you know, and when uh, I think most teams would struggle with their third string center. Um, I'm going to be real honest. You know, I understand there's some arguments about a lack of depth and this and that and the other. It really was two on Gakic even the third string center. Is he the fourth string center behind CJ Felder? Like you could make that argument. Just really productive minutes from him. What are you seeing that that he's doing? Seems to me, and I'll, I'll leave it to you, but it seems to me like he's just a, a very intelligent player. He has a high basketball IQ, and I think that's helping him But while he doesn't have a terrific skill set yet. I'm not sure that would be my way of describing it, you know, quite yet. I mean, maybe, um, but like there's times that like, I, I honestly just chuckled. He's done it twice. Now we talked about it on the podcast a couple, a couple games ago, but like in pick and roll defense, he just took an awful angle to the ball. Didn't cut it off. Like he was, you know, supposed to hedge, um, took an awful angle was late. Um, and then he just uses his ridiculous length to poke, poke the basketball away. And it's a fast break the other way. And he's done it a couple times now. And he's had a couple other, I, you know, I, I I will. It's it's one of those things where I'm just like, okay, does he, did he just make a bad play defensively and then just have, you know, ridiculous length to make up for it, or did he make a bad play and then he's got the IQ to use his length to recover? And you see that with the block shots as well, where he was getting knocked off his spot, but then he was able to recover with some big blocks and, um, and then he had that one block that was just ridiculous timing, two hands on the basketball, like that was that was monstrous. I I love that. Um, Jalen Hudson at uh, Jalen Hudson at Rupp. <laughs> wow. Um, so that's uh, uh, so you know I I I do think that for him right now it is just like physical tools and effort. Um, but hey, that was you know that was good enough. Um, 
for, for lack of a better term, because he, while I was like, Oh, I didn't love that pick and roll defense. Okay. Well, he's still recovered with his length. Uh, it's like, okay, well, I don't think he's much of a rim protector because he's getting knocked off his spot in the paint. He's like, okay, well, he still recovered and got his fingertips on the ball. So it was a little bit of like, like it was scary to watch, but the results were ultimately good. And I don't know if that's going to be the case every single game. I, I probably wasn't as high on him his performances in the last couple of games where, where some people on, on Twitter and, and some people with, you know, really smart basketball people were like, Oh, he's awesome. He should have been playing more earlier. Like I was not there. I'm, I'm not quite there. I'm, I mean, I'd be really interested uh, when CJ Felder is, is totally healthy. If Castleton is not back by then um, who's kind of higher in the, in the pecking order there at, at center. Um, I might guess Gatkick just because he's the guy who's kind of played center minutes versus CJ Felder has been kind of only a backup to uh, Drugi at the fourth, but uh, we'll, we'll see there. But uh, you know, even though I was a little bit sketched out at times, the the results were there for, for Gatkick, who is definitely a positive, uh, positive contributor. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, he also made some free throws, but four of six at the line drew four fouls in 22 minutes, um, which I think is, is pretty darn good. And another, I will one point, and this is why the contrast and perspectives that you very occasionally get on FBH is good. Like I kind of feel like some of the high intelligence things also in his box outs, like to me, like he had really good box out position plenty of times where, you know, he, he had functionally boxed out two Oklahoma state players. And, but for the fact he needs like a full summer and eating regiment with Preston green, um, he, he gets the rebound, but instead he gets kind of thrown off the ball very easily. And then Oklahoma state gets the rebound and Florida ended up committing a foul. I don't know if it was scat cake or someone from behind, but you know, so, I mean, I think he's often doing what he's coached to do and maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not high basketball IQ, but he's very coachable. Um, and that can be good when you have a coach like Al Pinkins, who, uh, has had some, some rough ones. Uh, at Florida in terms of his bigs, but is also, I think, deserves a lot of Colin Castleton credits him a lot with his growth. And it seems like Tuan Gatkick is receptive to that coaching as well. It will be interesting to see how he responds to the challenges of the week to come uh, with, with Georgia, who doesn't have much in terms of a front court presence, but Missouri uh, certainly capable of, of playing big. So, I, I think too, when, uh, well, you know, when, when Gakic first committed to the Gators, it was like, we're all like, you know, who is this guy? Um, what's going on? And then everyone's kind of scrambling to find information. And then like, it was like a week after and like, it was like, you know, ball is life or overtime or someone like put up this like mixtape of, of tune Gatkick and he's like taking step back threes and everyone's just like, what the hell is this? And uh, I, I, I think that we're, you know, definitely haven't seen that. And it's been much better to see that. Um, like you said, he's certainly like, very willing to offensively screen and run to the rim and, and try to get dunks and, um, you know, defensively gives his all every single possession. And, um, you know, I'll say this too. He's, it's like, like, I guess if we had to make a comparison to, uh, you know, Sai Osifo, another, another junior college transfer, it was like people kind of, you know, pointed to his effort and um, it, it certainly was there, but you know, it's like, it's, effort when you're the junior college transfer for a three minute shift at times is much different than, um, tune Gakic who has shown that he's done it for, you know, in the teens and minutes and, 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 um, stuff like that. And, um, one more, one more kind of note kind of statistically just from just cause there are some crazy numbers from last night, whenever you, you know, have a huge comeback like that, when you change your lineups that much, there's going to be some crazy numbers. Um, but with, uh, 
uh, Anthony Derugi at five. Um, the Gators were giving up 56% of offensive rebounds to Oklahoma State. So, like, that's like for people who aren't totally aware, like, you cut like your defensive rebounding percentage, like, you want your opponent to get if they're around like 25% offensive rebounding rate. Um, that's that's pretty good. That's where you want to be. And Oklahoma State for over half the game was at 56%. Um, so it was 38% with, with Gakik at the five. Um, so that's still not good. Um, that would be one of the worst that that's like playing against Kentucky. Um, what they do offensive rebounding wise. Um, but it was better than, than without the Deruji at the five. So, you know, um, credit there when you can kind of say like, okay, here are the two kind of, um, options at the center right uh, position right now. And like, what are some of the differences, um, in terms of the boxing out, it's like, yeah, there was, you know, some, he got, um, pushed away, but you know, there was, you know, maybe some where he was able to, um, get a successful box out for, for someone else to get the rebound and the Gators were, you know, a little better on the glass with, with guy kick in there. Yeah. Florida was pretty good. Like at least attempting to collaboratively rebound. Like there were a lot of bodies in the second half, um, being competitive on the glass, which I mean, it's not pretty to watch, but that's how Florida's rebounding efforts are going to not be pretty. Like it just needs to be a bunch of, you know, almost like watching seven-year-olds play soccer where it's just like a swarm around the ball and like you don't really know where the ball is. That's how Florida needs to rebound collaboratively. That's the image uh, in my head. Two on Gatkick. Um, and I said Georgia. Florida has Ole Miss Saturday, so correction on that. I guess it'll be another shot for two on against uh, Nizier Brooks, which the first one did not go well. Um, we will see how part two – uh, Florida Ole Miss goes, but you know, based on the first one, the matchup isn't awesome. Uh, but you know, maybe Florida will be more inspired to play better uh, this time around. The Gators also won this game, Eric, offensively just by getting to the foul line. And I think uh, you have to really credit Tyree Appleby with that. Drew a game high seven fouls, uh, and it was just kind of all the good things that Tyree Appleby can do. Uh, especially in the second half. Now watching the comeback again, it's like crazy just how much of it was, was fueled by, by Appleby. Like, of course there's the obvious you know, steals he had where he just like cleanly picked a pocket of a defender. And it's, it's, you know, it's one thing when a second player kind of sneaks into the blind spot of a ball handler and pokes it away or, you know, a double team where it's like Tyree Appleby staring the guy he's guarding in the face. The guy sees him there and, and he just goes and takes the ball from him. Like it's, it's incredible. Like, I'd, I'd have to go look back at, at, you know, some of the Chris Chioza steals and, and stuff that he did. But I think, you know, Chioza was a little bit like craftier and waiting for guys to turn their head and um, kind of come from the blind spot where Tyree Appleby's like, Hey, you see me coming. I'm still going to come get the basketball. So um, watching that was super impressive. And then offensively, it was like, whether he was um, setting things up with his, with his step back or just being so slippery that the guys are fouling him. Um, I thought he was getting wherever he wanted and it forced some long closeouts that um, made Brandon McKissick look a lot better. He was able to attack and uh, off some long closeouts. And um, I just think Applebee's was incredible. Um, I think this could, you know, very be, well be like one of the best games he's, he's played at, um, at Florida and especially just factoring in that, like I'll, I'll say he won them the game because look again, looking at the comeback, it was like, Holy, this is uh Tyree Appleby shouldering the entire load. And um, it was incredible. And he's, he's thrown together some, some good basketball games in a row here. And um, I think that's pretty impressive for a team. That's got a lot changing around it. Yeah, no, I think uh, I would wholeheartedly agree that if you look at, you know, you have to score baskets to win the, the, the Mark wise joke from the broadcast yesterday, uh, and Florida's baskets were almost entirely due 
to Tyree Appleby throughout the game. And then, you know, even when, you know, Fortis, who hits the big shot has been a question we've asked about this team consistently. And yesterday when Oklahoma state did get back within one and it kind of looked like, Oh man, are they going to come all the way back and then give this thing away? And, you know, Tyree Appleby on back-to-back possessions where it's a one possession game, hits the step back three and then hits that ridiculous step back jumper in the lane. uh, That was just such a high degree of difficulty shot uh, over a long defender I mean, it was it was all about Tyree Appleby when Florida needed a bucket, um, and I don't think it was just like Brandon McKissick. Who I will credit for his drives have been better recently, a little more under control and a little more intentional um, in terms of like what he wants to do rather than just drive to pass. Uh, but I thought Fleming's game really opened up because of Tyree Appleby. There were a lot of drive and kick actions that they ran to just kind of make sure it was Flan Fleming that got the ball. And the few times that Florida did kind of set screens was really to get Flan Fleming something where he could get into the lane. Uh, Flan drew five fouls, which was the second most in the game. And uh, also another guy that, that hit some free throws. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I forgot about that in, in the moment there. But one thing that, you know, I know people love talking about, you know, Florida's offense and what they're running and, and stuff like that. So uh, earlier in the season, uh, we kind of pointed to uh, to a play where where the Gators, like like I, like I I kind of called it a play from Alabama. Um, I think the Gators really took it from Cincinnati, who they played, you know, several years back. But um, Alabama is really popular for running it. It kind of looks like one of those like horn alignments with with two post players, um, two guys in the corner, two post players kind of coming up to uh, as if they could set a screen on either side of the ball. And one of them clears out to the opposite side and it makes a quick kind of gap play for someone like Tyree Appleby to drive. And um, then you also saw counters where that's that's the lob play usually where um, Anthony Drugi clears out, but then turns the corner, gets a screen from Colin Castleton and it's a lob. And um, the Gators ran some counters to that. Um, and two of them were, were to Flanders Fleming. And one of them, he uh, hit a shot. And the other, he had a really, you know, drew a long closeout, um, hit the wide open Myron Jones who, who hit a shot and um, kind of using like fan action, like where instead of we are, where the defense thinks you're curling around a screen and then you kind of make a V cut back towards the perimeter. And um, it worked really well for the Gators. And it was almost, again, one of those things where like, I, I think we've said it a couple of times and like, it maybe just affirms our bias, I suppose, but it just seems when Florida runs set plays, um, they're getting better stuff out of, out of it than, uh, than kind of their, their kind of regular motion stuff. But, um, actually one more thing on the offense, I, I think I might add, um, I, like, I thought it was interesting when Castleton went out where I still thought the Gators were trying to play a little bit more basketball as if Castleton was still in the game. And I thought that they were trying to post up Jatobo and Gatkick. Uh, you know, not as much as Castleton, but it's kind of, it's still a key part of the offense. And I didn't love that. And then, you know, you put Anthony Drugi out there at the five and then it was like, okay, all we're doing is running split cuts away from the ball. Um, I, I think they had some more success that way. And and I think that even if, well, you know, obviously Jatobo's not coming back, um, you know, outside, outside of, you know, posting Castleton up and maybe even a little bit less when he's out there, uh, maybe the Gators want to kind of keep, keep going to those, those sets, because like you mentioned, you saw some better drives from Brandon McKissick out of that spacing. Um, you saw some better stuff for Flanders Fleming um, kind of curling off those, those actions and, and shooting threes. And um, you know, maybe he's uh you, he's starting to hit some threes and, and, and maybe those keep falling. I think we, you know, think he's a better shooter than he's been the last couple of games. He had that stretch in December where he shot the ball really well, but um, 
you know, the, the, the strength of the Gators is going to be like, Hey, where can you get the, you know, absolute most out of like your Brandon McKissick's and your, uh, your finder swimming and, and, and simplifying the game for them. So um, I did think it was kind of, you know, we all, we always are talking about what are the Gators doing offensively. And um, that was definitely something that uh, was notable to me. Yeah, no, great stuff. Uh, Drew Helmich wanted to know uh, what makes Niles Lane a great defender, what he does that stands out. Um, he said it really just seems like quickness, quickness and length make him seem uh, bigger than he is. And so I thought we could answer that since he was kind of one of the the reasons that Florida won yesterday. And I, we talked about it a little bit. I mean, I, a lot of it I really think is just that he's a really good on-ball defender um, and also that you know, he really is fast laterally. I kind of joked around. I, I was like half joking and I compared him to Casey Prather, like young Casey Prather yesterday on Twitter. And uh, will you get retweeted with the, uh, the fax sign? Um, and then somebody pushed back a little bit on Twitter saying, Oh, I don't think he's anywhere near as athletic as Casey Prather. And like, I would respectfully disagree with that. I think he's almost every bit as much as athletic as Casey Prather I mean, we saw his like monster drive and dunk against Troy and we're all kind of like, where did that come from? Um, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, that would be my answer to Drew. It's just, he's just a really high level athlete. Um, and then he's also very fast. So uh, even if he weren't long, which he is, he would seem long cause he's so quick laterally. Right. Um, so you can play a little longer than you are if you can get around people or they can't get around you. Um, but I think it's really mostly that Eric. I think that like lateral quickness is is king when it comes to perimeter defense. There's there's no question if there's like one trait you'd want from a perimeter defender, it's it's lateral quickness. But one thing I think is really underrated is is strength, and people don't really think about strength in terms of perimeter defense. When you say like uh, defender who's who's strong, your people's kind of mind goes to like guys banging on the inside. And um, but the thing is like when you're playing perimeter defense, um, your first move when someone dribbles at you is to move laterally. Um, so obviously he's quick, um, or any defender, you know, you show quickness. Um, but the thing is with pretty much every drive, there's contact, um, because it's, it's, you know, it's a it, basketball is a contact sport. And when people are driving, they drive physical in the sec. So, um, it can be sometimes if you're quick moving laterally, um, but you take that hit from the driving player and you get knocked off your spot. Um, it doesn't matter that you were there in time. Um, so one thing that I just noticed with Nas Lane is like, he's quick, but then when, when contact is made, he's not getting, he's not getting moved. And I think that that's, um, that, that's why, yeah, just like strength when it comes to perimeter defense, I think is underrated. And it's something you really see with, uh, um, you really see with Niles Lane. Well, there you go. So um, I, those are kind of my thoughts on, on yesterday's win. Uh, caps a week where Florida goes one and two. Uh, the Gators played, I thought, pretty well for the most part at Tennessee, given everything, given the matchup, um, given who, who was out, given the fact that Jason Jatoba went out with what ended up being a season-ending injury with Florida and a comfortable lead. Uh, so, you know, I thought played pretty well in that game, played well for a half yesterday and then played not at all well against Ole Miss. So kind of what they are, like three good halves basically <laughs> in a week and a one and two record and what was a tough week. They now enter a week where Eric, I think they need to go two and zero if they have any chance of going to the NCAA tournament. Um, I just don't think, they can, even though uh, looking at the quads, it would be a quad two win for Florida again Wednesday night. Uh, they can't afford to lose to Missouri. 
Um, so what do you see when you look at the Missouri Tigers? Um, you know, Quanzo Martin basketball, it's uh, uh, kind of a team that has defended pretty well. <laughs> And uh, you know, kind of struggles on the struggles on the offensive end, and, and even then, like at their defensive numbers, they're they're not great, but they're one of the teams that I think is like better defensively than uh, um, what they show. I mean, like yeah, they lose to Auburn, but they hold Auburn to fifty five points. That's that's tough, and uh, uh, you know, they they lost a game to uh, um, you know a really good Liberty team earlier in the season where they gave up like sixty or something like that. So I mean, you're you're seeing some of these games where um, I, I I don't know what it is about like some elements of their defense that, that make their um, kind of numbers not great. Um, but I do think they're kind of, again, a little bit of what you expect. Some of those kind of like guys we've seen do that role for, for a number of years, like a Javon Pickett, um, again, kind of like the Milwaukee Wilkinson kind of player mold of, you know, six foot five physical defender. Uh, they've got some guys like that, but uh, man, scoring for them can be uh could be a struggle. Yeah, they do. You know, they entered the year uh, 350th, in the country in returning minutes played. Um, so it was always, I think, going to be a bit of a, a rebuild for, for uh, Missouri. Uh, they lost just so many pieces off the, the NCAA tournament team. Um, you know, only Kobe Brown and, and Javon Pickett came back. Drew Smith gone. Jeremiah Tillman, your pantser. Xavier Pinson transferred to LSU. Mark Sith transferred somewhere. Uh, Mitchell Smith graduated. So, you know, almost all the pieces of, of that NCAA tournament team uh, departed Kobe Brown, kind of the lone starter and, and probably their best player, uh, I think, and a guy that, that should be quite a handful for Florida. Um, he averages 13 points a game, uh, does not really shoot outside. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but, you know, what, what makes Kobe Brown kind of their, their engine, Eric? Well, first of all, I do have to correct you. Um, Wednesday's game is probably certainly going to be a quadrant three game. Um, Missouri right now is one sixtieth in the net and it would, they would need to get up. They would need to get up to one thirty-five for that to be a quadrant two game. So stand corrected. um, not that it changes your point because you still said they needed to go two and zero, but uh, just to reiterate, that's why they don't want to lose this one. Missouri is 160th in the Must net. Win game. Yeah, they're up there with like the Gardner. They're they're one spot behind Gardner Webb, who just uh, rocketed up because they just absolutely hammered Darius Nichols and and Radford yesterday. Sadly, um, but that's kind of the the range. It's like Drexel, Western Kentucky, Gardner Webb, um, VMI, and then Missouri. So. Uh, that's uh that's kind of the range of uh of team that Missouri's in. And again, it's like I think they're better than that, but I guess um the the results kind of uh, are what they are. But uh, uh must win. We'll we'll keep kind of saying that. But um so so going back to the actual question, Kobe Brown. I mean, one thing that's kind of interesting is is you know, I kind of thought when he came into college, he was a little bit more like wing and saw a guy that was six, seven. And you're like, Oh, maybe that's the kind of like wing that everyone's looking for. But um, you actually look at his game and he's like a post-up player pretty straight up. And um, that's kind of where he's best someone who can score on the inside, someone they want to play through. Um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting kind of matchup for the Gators. Cause he's not super physically imposing, but like he's kind of, you know, got a little, like certainly he's nowhere like near like a, uh, I certainly won't say a, you know, EJ Liddell, like maybe like 
into the Kyle Young range of like that we saw with uh, with Ohio State with those like six foot seven kind of post players. Um, but uh, it, it definitely makes Kobe Brown a little bit a uh, little bit unique as a little bit of like a smaller post player that, that Missouri still plays a bunch through, and uh, um, it makes him a, a difficult matchup. Yeah, I think he's one of their only mismatches that they have offensively. And they don't, you know, talking about programs that don't have much of an offensive identity. I mean, uh, Quanzo Martin has never produced a top 40 offense at Missouri. Um, They, you know, don't really have an idea of what they want to do from season to season. They pretty much just are very pragmatic and adjust to whatever personal personnel they have. Sometimes they shoot a lot of threes. Uh, we've seen them shoot high volume threes. We've seen them shoot low volume threes. We've seen them play fast. We've seen them play uh, slow. This year, it's kind of seven man rotation. We're not playing real quick, and they do try to get the ball inside, uh, whether it's from their guards or uh, through Kobe Brown. They have a freshman named Trayvon Brazil who starts, uh, and it's a you know like I said seven man rotation. Trayvon Brazil, an interesting player, a home state kid that was a three star recruit, uh, had an offer sheet that was like Cleveland State, Missouri, Green Bay, and Wisconsin. Those were his like, <laughs> and it's like well Greg Gard wanted him, and so did Quanzu Martin, and he stayed home. Uh, so you know somebody at Wisconsin saw something. Uh, he's been a pretty effective player for them, and but but he's kind of their center at six nine. So. Really, it's just they're almost positionless in the way that they uh, can defend because of their height and size. And then they're almost uh, philosophyless, uh, to, to make up a word, on offense, uh, Eric. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, they're 347th in the country in, in three-point percentage. Uh, so they're not going to take or make a ton of three-pointers. Uh, another game where maybe we do see a healthy dose of Niles Lane because Florida's big goal is going to be, hey, let's not get eaten alive on the grass and let them get inside and get what they want. Well, talking about, you know, Brazil, I, I think he looks incredible. Like I, I was kind of shocked the first kind of time I, I saw him um, – you know, on the floor for Missouri. Cause I, I just kind of seeing the first couple of possessions, I thought he would be like a, you know, a top 100 guy is like a six foot nine guy who's pretty smooth. And he knocked down a jumper that I'm like, this guy looks like, you know, Michael Porter jr. In a Missouri uniform. Um, of course he's definitely nowhere near that good. And um, he's someone who doesn't play, you know, a ton of, a ton of minutes for them um, where, I mean, like, he's not like a, you know, well, I guess he has been starting the last couple of games I've, I've seen, but anyways, um, it's not like he's a high usage usage player, I should say. Um, but again, he just like, like looking at his kind of like smooth athleticism at six foot nine, I, I think he's going to be a tremendous player for, for them. Who's kind of got that NBA body, but um, yeah, just in terms of, in terms of their offense too, it's just like, um, you know, Kobe Brown posting up on one block and then they run a screen away from the ball for a shooter. And then if it's not there, it's like kick it out and then they reverse the ball and then like, Kobe Brown fights to go get to the other side of the block and then they try to enter it to him. And um, I, I, it actually really is a lot like, like I think Oklahoma state's a better team who runs a little bit better offense, but uh, it's kind of similar again in a, in a game where it was like, you know, it's going to be kind of a, a physical kind of grinded out game. Um, you know, you might not be scoring anyway. So what do you kind of have to, to lose there? And, um, and then you've just got to be better, you know, better on the glass and, um, just even even kind of looking at uh, uh, 
looking at some of the uh, the lineup data and and kind of player usage too. Like they'll they'll sometimes have Brazil out there with um, like Ronnie DeGray, who's another like six foot six, like physical undersized frontcourt player and Kobe Brown and and they'll go a little bit like like again they're not super long because of DeGray out there but like kind of guy like three guys that have played minutes for them at the five kind of all on the floor together and and yeah they'll they'll kind of like bang on the glass and again you've kind of seen them hang in with a couple teams uh that way and they you know hung with Alabama for a lot of the game because they were able to kind of dominate the inside and um that's definitely something that's uh that the Gators have to be you know I don't want to say concerned with, but definitely, definitely take noting of. Yeah. I mean, they, they do when they ball screen, it's usually to get somebody downhill, whether it's Jerron Coleman or um, who's the other guy, Amari Davis, I think um, they're two mid-major. They have got a couple mid-major transfers, basically. Um, Amari Davis came from Green Bay. Jerron Coleman came from somewhere. Uh, Youngstown State, Ball State, Indiana State. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> doesn't matter. He's trying to get to the rim. Um, and neither of those guys shoot above 32% from deep. So again, it's let's get inside and see if we can clean things up on the glass. That's essentially their philosophy. I mean, the thing that they're best at is offensive rebounding the 62nd, uh, in the country at that. Um, otherwise not a terribly, uh, effective, uh, offensive team. And another thing that they do do, which Florida just feasted on forcing 12 turnovers in the second half against Oklahoma state um, is they turned the ball over at a really high rate last in the sec and turnover rate 329th of the country. So with second straight team, the Florida's played that's in the three hundreds in offensive turnover percentage, again, good chance for the Gators to get some points. This has not been a Florida team that's been particularly successful on the road this year. Only one road win. I think they really need to get some turnovers and some easier baskets. Yeah. Anytime that they can kind of, you know, get some, get some shots up before that defense is set. That's uh, pretty big. And I think you saw against, uh, um, against Oklahoma state, it's like their, their run was fueled because Tari Appleby was kind of getting steals or they're forcing kind of long, long rebounds that got them in, in semi transition. And um, that was just better than their half court offense. And, I actually just forgot about it uh, till this very moment that you were talking about transfers and, and Missouri. Um, and I just looked it up and it was green Bay who, uh, who Davis came from. So you were on the, you were on the right league with uh, the young sound state and Cleveland state um, selections. Um, but I, I actually just forgot that um, like Missouri for sure thought that they were getting Brandon McKissick. And I just forgot about that until this moment, but I, I know in Florida first offered and I tweeted about it, you know, a couple of Missouri um, fan friends of ours, like Adam Spencer from Saturday down South and then Jim root from three man weave. They were like, Hey, stay off. Like, <laughs> you know, Missouri's getting him. And um, a lot of fans too were like, like I wrote an article about Brandon McKissick when Florida offered him. And then there was a bunch of Missouri fans that replied. That's like, Hey, good article, but you know, there's no chance he's going to Florida. Right. So I actually just like blocked it out of my memory until, until right now. So, um, you know, I guess uh, <laughs> McKissick is uh, near. And, and again, it was one of those things where I'm like, Hey, this is like, like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going with what the, you know, what, especially there's that kind of like, flurry of like this guy enters the portal oh floor you know you you read the, like a laundry list of 20 teams that have got in touch with a player and like florida is one of them so i write an article on it you know like i'm not like <laughs> i don't have any personal attachment yet and and some fans are still like like don't get your hopes up loser and um but anyway so i guess i i can't even take huge satisfaction about the gators getting him because i was like i don't know i'm just like it's not like it was my scoop but uh anyway it's going to be some very disappointed missouri fans to see brandon mckissick in, in orange and blue and uh uh hopefully he has a good number of, of fans there too uh and friends and family to see him 
Yeah, I hope so. Florida has had actually some success uh, in the recent past with players playing close to home. Remember, Kayvon Allen, uh, I think, is the all-time leading scorer for uh, a road team at uh, at Bud Walton Arena. So, you know, I, Arkansas, no one in college basketball was more happy to see Kayvon Allen graduate than the Arkansas Razorbacks. Maybe we get a little uh, breakout game from Brandon McKissick, who – I saw hit five of his six free throws as well uh, yesterday against Oklahoma State. A lot of swishes, by the way. So I don't know what he's doing, if he's just calmed down or or what was going on. But it was nice to see that go in. Um, and, you know, the one thing that, that Missouri really does that we haven't, I guess, discussed on defense uh, is now they are a team that mixes up their pick-and-roll defenses. Uh, they will hard hedge uh, a little higher than Florida's low hedge. They will drop coverage occasionally. The main thing that they do, though, is switch everything. I really think that's a tactic that they use to kind of, uh, like I was saying, to try to be positionless because they're not huge, but they're not small, really. They're, it's just like a bunch of guys that are like 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", 6'8". I do think that's why they gave Alabama problems, Eric, because Alabama, if you can kind of switch everything, then you negate a little bit of what NATO wants to do, which is just move the ball around and be patient until you get your mismatch. Um, I'm not necessarily sure how effective that is against a small ball team like Florida. Any thoughts on that? Uh, I, I think it's a good strategy against the Gators. I think it's something we've seen give the Gators trouble for, for years now, because whether it was like, you know, even like, again, like, like Chris Gioza was fast, but like not, like a great one-on-one score. So teams were like, Hey, whatever, we can switch our three or four men on him. And as long as he can like keep him off a straight line, like you feel okay. And then of course with Andrew Nemhard and, and Noah Locke, it was like, Oh, we got our five men switched on to Noah Locke. Like, you know, they weren't too concerned. So I, I look at this team and it's like, are, are they going to be comfortable with, you know, Brazil getting switched on to Brandon McKissick? I, I think they're going to be fine with that. So uh, for the Gators to, um, not really be able to take advantage of a lot of those mismatches um, by, by getting to the hoop. I, I think we'll, we'll for sure see a bunch of switching and like, um, you know, coercely, you mentioned John Coleman, like six foot five kind of ball handler uh, a lot of the time guarding pick or uh, point guards. So it's like, you know, if Daruji or if he gets switched on to Daruji because Daruji's playing the five, it's not like you go throw the ball into Daruji and let him, you know, go to work in the post or, or tune gat kick. That's just not really their skill set. So um, I, I do think we see a very healthy, uh, healthy dose of, of switching, just given that the Gators don't have a lot of kind of um, one-on-one scores other than um, Tari Appleby, but he's someone who's looking to get to his step back more than get to the rim. So it doesn't really, really matter. You know, so, sometimes it's almost nice to have, you know, a, a big switch onto that and have a little bit more length um, trying to close out to those step backs. So um, Florida, I think just kind of knowing that, or expecting Missouri to switch a whole bunch, that's kind of going to need to uh, go into their prep of what they uh, they think they can do to score. So I think, um, you know, again, Florida definitely going to have to just try to produce turnovers, not going to be easy sledding so much on the, um, on the, in the half court offense. Uh, but at the same time, it's not as if this Missouri team, which at this point uh, is eight and twelve, has been particularly lethal uh, at home. They did beat Alabama at home um, on January eighth. They did just play Auburn very close in Auburn's first game. That's number one. Uh, like Eric said, a one point Auburn win last week. Uh, so you know, 
better at home, I guess, in SEC play, only lost narrowly to Texas A&M. Um, so their three SEC home games have been a three-point loss, a one-point loss, uh, and a six-point win over Alabama. So a little bit better uh, at home, or a lot, I should say, a lot better at home than on the road. But they have some home losses throughout the season as well. Uh, bottom line is if Florida wants to make the NCAA tournament, not a game that they can afford to drop. I know a lot of people were pretty disappointed losing to uh, a uh, an interim coach at, at Maryland. Um, Quanzo Martin might be a little bit of a sitting duck coach. I was going to ask you, Neil, what do you think? Do you think uh, he's going to be on the sideline when the Gators see them next year? No, I think Missouri is ready to make a change. I, I you know, and I, there were some people that thought maybe they might last year and then Missouri kind of plucked their way into the NCAA tournament uh, with a team that, like, if you go back and look at that roster, that's probably a team that underachieved, in my opinion. Like, they just should have been – that should have been a second weekend team. They had all the pieces to go to the second weekend, lost in the first round. That's a good point. Of course, uh, some people may have seen this. It was kind of like a weird story. Like, I'll, I'll say about a month ago, I don't totally remember, but, like, um, someone reported that that he was fired um, and he he wasn't. And like, um, there's one thing about Martin. I, I mean, I don't think he's a fantastic, you know, scheme coach. And sometimes the product on the court has been not great, but by all accounts, he's a, you know, a tremendous person and uh, him having to call all of his players about a false report about him getting fired. Uh, hearing that story was like, Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't feel good. So hopefully, uh, you know, if, if, if slash when they make the, the choice, it's uh um, it's a, uh, you know, they, they, they do it respectfully. And, and I, I think too, Missouri is kind of one of those like underrated jobs. I, I think they're, you know, they've got a fan base that I think is, you know, pretty passionate about basketball. Um, they've got, you know, that, uh, that really nice arena. So, uh, and, and, uh, pretty good home court advantage, I would say, especially given kind of what, uh, um, the, the quality on the court recently. Um, and then you've also got some, uh, some really good kind of recruiting um, land nearby in, in, in St. Louis. So it's a pretty good job. So that'll be an interesting one for, you know, whenever that opens and um, we'll be, we'll be definitely one of the, you know, after some of these, you know, Louisville's of the world, get their pick at, at coaches. I'll be interested who maybe goes to uh, to a Missouri. Yeah. Two of the five athletic writers that, that had Florida, I, I mentioned on the last are on the spaces that, um, all five of them had Florida in the top five jobs. Actually, they all had Florida in the top four jobs in the SEC, most of them having Florida third behind Kentucky and Arkansas. Um, but I will say that there were two that had Missouri in the top five, uh, and I would have, had I made it, I would have Missouri as, I think, the fifth best job in the SEC. Uh, I do think it's a top five job. They have a great arena, a great home recruiting base. It's definitely a basketball first school when they're good. Um, you know, it might even be a basketball first school now, which is why you can get fired if you're Quanzo Martin after you made the NCAA tournament last year uh, and you're getting fired potentially in what everybody knew was going to be a rebuilding year. Uh, kind of gives you a hint of how passionate they are about it. I think they have good administrative support. So definitely going to be interesting to see um, what happens and, and, you know, what route they take, whether it's a mid-major route or whether they try to to bring in a name. Um, you know, when they brought in Quanzo, they thought that they would bring in somebody that was going to be kind of that perfect fit because he was from St. Louis. 
Uh, like Eric said, by all accounts, just a wonderful human being. Um, and they thought he would really recruit St. Louis well, and he did initially. Uh, but the product on the floor has not been such that they have been able to sustain that momentum. Um, and so, uh, and I think Illinois improving has had a little to do with that too, because uh, that's somebody that they compete with head to head for recruits. But it will be interesting, as Eric said, if, if in fact they decide to move on from Kwanzaa Martin. Definitely one of the SEC jobs that that could very well be open. Well, and and again, I I, I really like Kwanzaa Martin. Like hearing him talk a lot of the time, but I will say he's been uh, he's been pretty outspoken. I think people have probably seen like two minute clips on Twitter or kind of retweeted where he kind of like talks about you know worth work ethic and character when he gets asked about the transfer portal, and it's kind of like a veiled way of him saying like, I don't like the transfer portal and people should like stick it out and develop and stuff like that. And, and, and I know people like eat it up a lot of the time and it's like, you know, I can see what he's saying, but I just, he, he's one of those guys that I'm just not sure is built for high major basketball in, in 2022. I think he'd rather have some guys that'll stick around three or four or five years and, and develop them. And um, again, I just don't think it's a good, like, you know, Mike White, is so open in the media. And I don't know if this is like his true belief or if he's just smart enough not to say it, but like Mike white is all, you know, he's never said anything negative about the transfer portal. Um, he's never said anything negative about players transferring. I think that he truly believes that it's like a good thing that players have this freedom, but I'm like, it is just not a wise move. I would say in 2020, no matter how much you believe it, if you want to like that, that player should not transfer and should stick it out and stick around with who they committed to out of high school as 17 year olds. Like, even if you believe that, you know, fervently, I would not voice it. And, um, you know, I do think that, that hearing a couple of the things that, that he has said, um, yeah, I ju- it just maybe just shows that that like uh, uh, an SEC job in 2022 is just not the best fit for um, for him and, and maybe not for Missouri. But uh, Neil, going back to um, Florida here for a moment, um, one thing I thought was very, very pleasant and uh, gentlemanly of Mike Boynton and Oklahoma State was to continue to foul the Gators while they were down by multiple possessions because it allowed the Gators to really juice their offensive efficiency numbers against a very good defensive team. And this really matters. And people don't talk about this. Um, I've got to be careful talking about it because I, I think teams need to consider this. Like, obviously, like there's like, uh, you know, you're down by a couple possessions at the end of the game. Like, you know, from a trying to win the game standpoint, I'm like, yeah, you might as well keep fouling and, and hope for a miracle. But the fact of the matter is you're hurting your defensive efficiency and your and um, in Florida's case, um, their offensive efficiency is really getting juiced. So you see you saw the Gators take a huge jump in Ken Palm um, adjusted offensive efficiency. So I wanted to preface that by saying I do think that the Gators kind of got juiced up a little bit artificially by Oklahoma State, who's a really good defensive team fouling a ton. But as we currently stand, the Gators are 42 at the time of recording. Um, it's going to change, you know, changes all the time on Ken Palm by a little bit. But at the time of recording, the Gators are 42nd in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency metric. They are 59th defensively. What are your, uh, what is your kind of reaction to those numbers? I mean, I still think it's a top 50 defense if if Colin Castleton returns. Um, but if he doesn't, you know, I mean, Florida's just because of some of the offensive rebounding numbers, for example, that you pointed out earlier. And Florida's going to have trouble getting constant stops uh, without any center. Um, and I say that with all due respect to Tuan Gakic and C.J. Felder. I mean, 
you know, without one of their first or second string centers, they're, they're not going to be the same defensively. And, you know, and, and that's not a knock on Mike White's roster construction either. If you remove the top two centers for most people's uh, teams, they would have problems. And I also think, you know, obviously if you're moving all SEC or an all league player in a power 16, that's one of the nation's best rim protectors, protectors from any team, uh, they would decrease. But yeah, I mean, Florida, going to have to find ways to to manufacture points i still think some of eric's points on earlier podcasts about taking chances and passing lanes and things like that generating easier buckets are going to help their efficiency numbers um and obviously you know maybe florida has found something in in driving with a little more uh purpose in the last couple games and, and getting to the free throw line some um they have to make those free throws but uh, the bottom line is I don't know how often Florida's going to just beat you in their half court offense. Um, their sets are certainly better than any of their motion stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, right now I think they're going to be a little bit better offensively than defensively. Yeah. I mean, before the season, I said, I thought the Gators were going to be better offensively than defensively, but like, man, not like this. Um, this is not what I wanted uh, to see numbers like this. I, I do think that, you know, if you wanted to take a optimistic view on what you just said about the front court, um, you said, with all due respect to CJ Felder and Toon Gakic, um, the fact of the matter is we've still not actually seen CJ Felder at the five minutes. So there's like still a chance that, you know, if he does get healthy and Castleton's not back, that I think that the Gators could look um, look better with CJ Felder at the five. But um, yeah, in terms of people like, you know, faulting Mike White on his roster construction, like again, I, I would say I think CJ Felder is more of a five or more of a center than a power forward. Mike White's played a more at a power forward, but. Uh, you know, I'll call him a center. So I'll say that they have three centers injured and are now playing their fourth string center. Like if people are going to, you know, fault Mike White for that, like, so if the, the other option would be to have five centers on your roster and um, man, if you're looking to criticize roster construction, um, I would criticize any coach who has five centers on a roster um, in 2022. So yeah, I I think right now (laughs) they just have three, three centers injured or sick and uh, no, no one is, no one is built for that. So yeah, you know, I've got, I, I, think that they should have more versatile wings. I think that they should have more ball handling. And um, I think there's some roster construction problems there, but man, I'm not saying, Oh, down three centers, the Gators should have more center depth. No, that is just, you know, this truly is bad luck. Um, particularly when it's, you know, a guy getting his like, you know, retina slashed, um, n- not something that you can, you know, it's not like he's someone who's like prone to eye injuries. Like it's just, you know, freak accident. Um, I don't think Colin Castleton has had shoulder problems, but I mean, I, I guess I don't know. You didn't have any outwardly last year. So again, it's not, it's one thing when you have like, you know, have injury, you know, a quote unquote injury prone guys who have their nagging injuries flare up again, but it's like, no, you're dealing with like illness with CJ Felder, um, shoulder injuries that haven't seemed to be a, a problem for Castleton throughout his career. And um, yeah, someone getting like, you know, an ocular stabbing that you're just, you know, not, not ever prepared for. So yeah, no, no faults to, to the roster construction there. Well, there you go, guys. Um, Florida gets back at it Wednesday night, 9 PM uh, Eastern time, start the late game on the SEC network uh, and a big one for Florida, not one I think they can afford to lose if they want to stay on the right side of the bubble. Um, so uh, I don't even know if they're on the right side of the bubble now, but they certainly won't be if they lose to Missouri. So um, go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.